You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we are going through every episode of Malcolm in the Middle, one by one, in chronological order. Today, we are talking about Hal Quits, which originally aired February 4th of 2001, was directed by Ken Quapis, written by Michael Glaberman and Andrew Orenstein. Hi, I'm Jake, and that name didn't auto-translate into my phone. Fuck. 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 I ruined my bit. Oh no. I'm Jake and Garcash speaks for all of us. <laughs> it auto-completed to Gareth. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And I'm David. And do you people have any idea what this kind of mindless labor does to a person? And I'm Eric and I'm just happy to be here. That's not a line from the episode. I'm just genuinely happy to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We're happy to have you. (laughs) Thank you. Welcome in. So, well, before we get into the episode, I did want to ask Eric, how did you first get into Malcolm in the Middle? I was homesick from work one summer, and I was up like really early. My wife had already gone to work, and I was just flipping through channels, and it must have been on Fox, and maybe Married with Children had just gotten over with or something. And the zoo episode that I've told you very frequently that I love so much uh, happened to come on. And I was just too lazy to turn the channel. I watched it and <laughs> afterwards I was like, okay, Megan, my wife, like we have to start watching this show. And so we did and it's been a love affair ever since. That is the best introduction to this type of show ever is, oh, I'm too lazy to change it. Oh, wow, this is really good. <laughs> I find pretty much all of the sitcoms that I've watched, if Jake hasn't forced it down my throat, mm-hmm. I, I find them that way. So <laughs> that's it, great. it's best. Great yeah, yeah, and Zoo's a great starting episode. Yeah, that's what I've been telling you since uh, I, I've been a, a fan of you guys' show since the onset. Like when Jake posted on uh, the Malcolm in the Middle subreddit that you guys were starting the podcast, I've been on board. And, and I've been harping on you guys ever since then to try to bring me on. I was like, oh, if you ever need guests for anything, especially Zoo, let me on. So... <laughs> This isn't Zoo, obviously. Literally, you were the first person to, like, respond to us in any way on Reddit and then also on Twitter. Uh, Like, your second message was like, hey, if you ever need a guest for the episode Zoo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm persisting. What can I say? I'm like Reese with the bullying, but, you know, maybe not as antagonistic, I hope. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) You're like a nice Reese. (laughs) We saw that once. It wasn't good. No. That's an insult. How dare you, Jake? I didn't take it as such, so. Thank you. At least one person here is reasonable. Yeah, it's neither of us, so... Fair. <laughs> I feel like the, the audience is missing so much because this is video, like, we're all on, like, the Zoom chat, and I can see, like, David's facial expressions, especially, like, whenever Jake says anything, it's like, the audience misses out on so much. <laughs> Welcome to every episode. There is so much just random maniacal laughter from my side, or death glares from Jake, (laughs) or there are oftentimes the double middle fingers are getting thrown at him as he is insulting me in one of my little bits. Yeah, this is, this is how it goes. This is our process. I absolutely love it. And and like I said, I've been listening to you guys since the very beginning. And it's like, you know, when you listen to someone in a podcast for so long, you like, you start to feel like you have a friendship with these guys. And obviously we've had a lot of interactions through mail and through Twitter and you guys have just been incredible about uh, giving us shout outs and everything for our show. And uh, we just can't thank you enough for that. So it's like, I I feel like I've already had a friendship with you guys and then to actually meet like this and to be able to record with you guys is just phenomenal. And I'm really appreciative of it. Yeah, no, we, we love having you here. And, uh, 
I shout out the show because I enjoy it. Uh, I forgot, uh, I'm not going to lie, that you guys were bi-weekly. And so <laughs> I, I got upset for a little bit. I was at work, I was doing paperwork, and I was like, yeah, another episode. <laughs> Shit. No. Yeah. No, we're, we're just like, we're really loosey-goosey with that kind of stuff. We have, it's meant to be bi-weekly, but it's kind of like we've had some really weird schedules based on, you know, just life gets in the way sometimes. So it's like, okay, we'll do three one week sometimes and then nothing for three weeks. So yep. <laughs> well, you guys know how it goes. As far as recording. Yeah, you had the, the live stream that you guys did for uh, Extra Life Charity on November the 7th. And so I, you guys like backlogged a lot of uh, episodes at that point, right? So. He remembers that stuff better than I do. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think we've actually said the name. Uh, Eric is from File Under Entertainment. That That is his podcast. Uh, so you can uh, search that. It's pretty easy to find. Oh, thank uh, you. Uh, highly recommend it. It's very enjoyable. Yeah, I, I told David today on Twitter that he talks more about our show than we do. And he, he can explain it better than we can. So, again, really appreciative of you guys. So. Well, it's, it's like what you said. I, I'm a fan. Like, I listen to it. I have listened to every episode you've put out. It's a lot of fun. You and Dylan are a lot of fun. If I enjoy something, trust me, everyone knows about it. Because I just, I, I, I'm like Jake. Here is this thing I like. Enjoy it. Oh, you didn't enjoy it? Well, you're wrong. That's great. Oh, but I'm sure the audience right now is probably like, all right, enough. We get it. You guys have a guest. Let's get on with the episode. So. And you know what? I'll do this for 30 more minutes. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was telling you, we should probably come on 30 minutes early just to get all the superlatives about each other out of the way because I, I kind of had a feeling that this would happen, you know, that we would be talking so highly about each other. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But see, the difference is, is you want to get it out of the way for the sake of the audience. It's a journey. They need to be there with us. Okay? And uh, now they are, and now they can feel a part of this. Also, Jake's going to edit all this out anyways, so who cares? Only like half of it. Yeah. <laughs> It's just more work for him, and I like it. All right, so should we get to the episode? <laughs> yeah, what episode are we doing? <laughs> uh, so, Halquitz starts, of course, with a cold open. Uh, this is, like, one of the shortest ones we've had so far. Uh, it's just uh, Dewey runs into the room. He's excited because the Tooth Fairy has been there to visit. Uh, he's in his pajamas. And when Lois asks what the Tooth Fairy brought him, he says, a rock and a stick of gum. Half a stick of gum. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> That immediately she yells, Reese, Malcolm, and that's it. I mean, not to go on a tangent already, but I'd have killed for a stick and a half a piece of gum. The Tooth Fairy didn't exist in my house, and we knew it early. Uh, I'm sorry your childhood was horrible. I didn't say that. It built character, Jake. Severe lack of money. Uh, so as for the structure of the episode, I have it divided into three plot lines. Uh, with the, the A plot, meaning mm -hmm. the, the house-centered one. You mean the H plot? No, thank you. See, <laughs> Eric is very reasonable. This is an A. If ever we've had an H plot, this is an H plot. See, don't feel ganged up upon, Jake, because there's things that I'm going <laughs> to lambast David about as well. So, Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, all right. In this particular case, uh -huh. I will concede this can be the H plot. You know this opens a slippery slope now. This sets a precedent now that all future hell. <laughs> I know. Why <laughs> I was so hesitant to do it. Slippery slope <laughs> arguments don't work, Jake. Mm. 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 That is. We're not having this argument again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have an H plot. Yeah, we we have the H plot. We have 
I guess that makes Malcolm's plotline the M plot by your logic. <laughs> Let's not get crazy here. That's the B plot. Let's... Thank you. <laughs> See? See? How do, how do you not get this, Jake? Hal's plotline is less isolated than Malcolm's. No. Continue. You're, you're doing poorly, but we love you. Continue. <laughs> and, of course, we have an F plot, which is more interconnected to the family than usual, as this is an episode where Francis is home. Yet, it, uh, it took me a second there. Like, I was I was wondering, like, did we miss an episode? What the fuck? Like, it, it was very strange. I like seeing Francis at home, though. Yeah. It's interesting. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, and as always, we will start with the F plot. So realistically, all of the plot lines start in the same place, which is at the breakfast table. Specifically, Reese is trying to impress Francis by shooting milk out of his nostril. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Lois tells Reese that anything that comes out of his nose is going to have to go back in his mouth, which stops him. Oh, that's gross. Uh, have either of you ever done that particular trick? No. <laughs> no, we're, we're civilized people. Okay. Yeah. Neither have I, but I knew kids who did it growing up, so. Really? Yeah. That's even one, like, my brother didn't do. Like, Ryan didn't even do that one. Of course, my mom would have just smacked him upside the back of the head if he did that. So. <laughs> she wouldn't have pulled the Lois and made him drink it anyway? <sighs> we didn't waste stuff, so maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. We didn't, like, we didn't try that stuff in front of my mom. You you weren't gross in front of my mom because you knew she was going to punish you. Like, you were picking weeds or something. But getting back to the episode, Dewey then complains because his waffle is still partially frozen uh, because it had to go on top of Francis's waffle. <laughs> and he gives Francis a death glare. <laughs> says, you're the reason my waffle is frozen. I, I want to interject something here because I thought it while we were watching it and it just plays into all the stuff that we've said already if anyone in the audience who hasn't had the opportunity to you know interact with jake and i on our live streams or anything wants to know what jake's death glares kind of look like (laughs) dewey in this episode that's that's what it looks like but put a beard on dewey and then that's jake glaring at me whenever he gets upset with me for sure can't confirm i saw it early (laughs) yeah yeah eric has seen quite a bit of jake glaring at me already I do it a lot. But Francis very graciously gives his uh, waffle to Dewey in an apology. And he starts talking about, you know, how his friends are going kayaking. And his big spring break plans are doing inventory at the Lucky Aid. Yeah, been there. Well, you've done inventory for the Lucky Aid? (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. Basically. (laughs) I have done inventory for a store that is just Lucky Aid with a different name. Right, Aid? Oh, God. <laughs> I will kill you. <laughs> we have a witness for once. You can't kill me. Lois explains that uh, it's the perfect situation because they need people for inventory and he doesn't have a choice. I don't know why, but that line reminded me so much of your mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard that a lot growing up. That you had no choice in the matter? Do as I say, not as I do? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> roughly. <laughs> awesome. Uh, oh, you're staying the night here? Great. Well, we have this giant project plan. Don't worry, I'll call your mom and tell her you're staying here the whole weekend. To help out with the project? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. awesome. <laughs> I, I say that was common in my childhood. I was at that, her house putting up insulation for like two weeks ago for that exact same reason. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's still going on. There's no escape. We then get Francis starting... 
his inventory work, which Craig is leading like a little... Ragtag group of misfits, I guess you could say, probably. That, absolutely. That, that, that definitely describes this group. Specifically, that there is an actor that I, I know I immediately recognized. Same. And that David did. Uh, I didn't, I refused to look up his name because I couldn't remember his character name uh, in the show, which is a running gag in that show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's the bald, creepy doctor from Cougar Town. <laughs> Do you remember his name, David? I did, right up until you started talking about that. And then I almost just called him Ted, and I know that's wrong. Because Ted is also in that. Yeah. Um, I don't remember his last name. What was his first name? Tom? Maybe? I think. I don't know. But again, it's a running gag in the show that they keep forgetting his name. Which is why I was okay not looking it up. Now, also, Eric, if you never watched Cougar Town, highly no. recommend everything except the first season. Yeah, okay. yeah. The first season is rough. He didn't tell me that. Well, you gotta have the context, right? You gotta watch it to see how it all begins. No? <laughs> no. It's also weird in that it's a show that just completely changes premise after the first season. <laughs> yep. Okay. Like, to the point that they tried unsuccessfully to get the uh, station to let them change the name of their show, but because it's such a horrible name that no longer applied to the show, and they just refused to let them. Really? And then they made it, yeah, and then they made it a sign gag. Okay. So every episode was a better title that they could be calling it under the actual title. <laughs> awesome. Well, now you guys are uh, talking it up, I'll have to check it out. So do a, like a Wikipedia synopsis thing for season one, and then just head right into season two? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will do. Or even just like watch the first episode of season one. It essentially establishes the premise. That's kind of all you need. Isn't that the Courtney Cox show? Yep. Yep. Okay. And is she still in it in season two? Or did she leave and that's when they changed it? Oh, no. It, it's all the same characters. They just like switch what they focus on. Like the, the first season is all about like she's a divorced mom who's newly single and she's going to get out there and date young guys. And then the like from, from the second season on, it's just like it's a very it's always sunny in Philadelphia kind of show. Okay. Where it's just like this is a group of alcoholic, horrible people. Let's just follow them. <laughs> all right. I'm super on board for that. So <laughs> you, you sold me. <laughs> Excellent. I will always evangelize Cougar Town. <laughs> Season two. You have to put that yes. asterisk in there. <laughs> Craig is like showing this group the ropes, you know, explaining what they're going to be doing and that there's a prize for uh, the, the store that does the best. He says uh, that the winning store gets a plaque and a hundred, they get a plaque. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then, uh, after sort of establishing, you know, more of Francis not wanting to be there, a little more complaining to Craig, we we see them actually getting to work. As they're doing this, Craig is explaining that, uh, you know, they they need to work really hard because the downtown branch has a reiner. They found a homeless man who's a human calculator. I hear he's prone to tantrum, but we can't count on that, he says. (laughs) Yep. You know what that's a reference to, right? They, they specifically say Rain Man. Yeah, okay. And his character in there and his tantrums and all. Okay, yeah. look, I'm just yeah. making sure. I've seen Rain Man. He counts the matches. That would be what you reference out of that whole movie. Well, doesn't he have some hang-up about underwear, too? Like, 17 pairs of underwear. Yeah, 17 pairs of underwear. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess better that he references the matches and not the underwear, right? Well, now we have both. <laughs> the magic of editing. Oh, no, Jake's way too lazy to pull that out. We're too far in. (laughs) What? (laughs) Do you think I stop editing, like, 20 minutes in? I assume. 
I hate you. <laughs> See, this has become my own little bit, and I know this is going to get edited out, but I try very hard in almost every episode to see how many times I can get Jake to say that he hates me. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. incredible. <laughs> My record so far is six. Six? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I've been counting. <laughs> Good. Uh, this is also the scene that introduces Garkash, who, who, who is the character who's played by the actor we mentioned. Yeah, Tom. Yes, or something. No, it's Tom. Did you look it up? Maybe. But uh, it's revealed here as Francis is asking him uh, how how many of something uh, the charcoal he was hauling was, and he says something in a foreign language of some sort, possibly made up. Francis, like, hands him the paper and says, just write it down. (laughs) He hands it to him, and he passes it back. He looks and says, that's not a number. (laughs) Also, this role with zero English lines is somehow exactly the character type for this actor. Just creepy, weird, forgettably unforgettable. Like, it... (laughs) I love his characters for that. Every show he's been in, Scrubs, Cougar Town, now Malcolm in the Middle, he's the weirdo that you forget, but also can't forget. Yeah. After this, uh, Craig comes through and he tells Francis that he needs to recount the uh, loose candy bin because he feels like the count is off. And as he's walked away under his breath, Francis mutters uh, where he should write down the the 40 uh, malt balls that are in his stomach. And Greg uh, gets upset about this, but uh, says, and I'm going to pay for those. Fair. Malt balls pretty good. Yeah, they're like a B-tier candy. (laughs) I think we can all agree on the tier of the malt balls, yes. (laughs) That's important. Maybe that should be an addition to the poll, where what tier are malt balls? Eventually, this podcast will just be nothing but poll reviews. That's the goal. <laughs> you know, you know, Josh in Des Moines is going to rate that malt balls are like their their A plus tier. You know, that bastard, that motherfucker. <laughs> I'm really glad he brought up Josh because I almost forgot about that bit. Like, I know it was literally two days ago, but I almost forgot about that already. I've been so busy <laughs> the last few days. They're they're in, like, the meeting room, and Craig reveals that he has lost all of the numbers uh, as he (laughs) unintentionally sent them to his mother. May have. And they're in the stock room, not the meeting room. Like, they're in the back stock area. Now, Jake, do do we reveal something, like a little bit of a spoiler to David, having not seen... Well, he claims, wink, wink, that he hasn't seen further on, right? So, do we... I haven't! (laughs) I'm just giving you shit, man. But, uh, so that's a little bit of a continuity error where Craig mentioning his mother. I mean, it's like, it's seasons down the line that we reveal the truth. But, uh, I guess that's just a little, a sneak peek. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. We'll just continuity keep you guessing. Continuity error, he says. I will develop a theory that Erica <laughs> will destroy. <laughs> we'll be getting so many emails that are just titled, You're Wrong. <laughs> Craig informs them that they are going to have to work extra late tonight because he's lost these numbers, and he's going to go play defense, if you know what I mean, at the downtown branch. No, Craig, I don't. Uh, And he, of course, leaves Garkash in charge. And Francis points out, we don't even know if Garkash is his name. We don't know that it's not his name, (laughs) Craig says. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I love that line. And as Francis is getting distraught about this, Lois comes in. And gives him some aspirin, and she feels like he would be needing it about now. And she sort of pats him on the back as they walk out together and explains that this is what working means. With a very uh, spot-on line here from Lois, 
what is it exactly? Your boss is an idiot, your coworkers are incompetent, and you're underappreciated. You aren't appreciated and underpaid, or something like that. Something to that effect. Uh, and just puts her arm around Francis's shoulder. Welcome to the workforce. Relatable content. <laughs> Well, then it spirals further on to that, unless it's, I don't want to spoil it in case it's one of you guys' like best line of the episode, because then she further goes on to say, yeah, when uh, Francis says, oh, well, you know, Dad had a choice, and she said, every 20 years you're allowed uh, a breakdown, and he said, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> you know, he's really looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't ruin anything for me, but yes, I love that line. And Francis's face... When he delivers that, just that, he's got that, like, wistful looking into the distance. Ah. Yeah. That far off time where he can just envision him in his own breakdown. We all just long for that midlife crisis, right? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> David looks very on board. We're going to talk about that a lot later, so I was just going to let it pass for now. By the way, I've just realized... A thing I fucked up. And it's, I'm so used to covering Francis' plotlines as being completely separate. I didn't, like, take note of all the interjections he has at the house. Like, I've covered it as the, only the store stuff, only the separate stuff. It's an F-plot. It does interconnect. I think I've got four and a half pages worth of notes. So I think I can cover, if we need to double back with anything, I've got it covered, I think. Yeah, we have a professional here today, Jake. <laughs> oh, far from it. But... Yeah. Oh, no. You have four pages of typed notes. I have four pages paragraphs maybe on my cell phone <laughs> i do have a cool little you know note reading stand thing though so yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm the tech guy it's cool <laughs> well you guys know from listening to my other show you know like dylan never prepares he watches the movies like just moments before i walk in the door and i come in with like an entire notebook full of stuff you know i gotta be the the stat guy that has all the information i gotta be the jake of my podcast basically and and david is the dylan so yeah oh uh Hundred percent. Yes, we, we Jake and I have had this conversation before. Yeah, it, Dylan really David's it up, and I appreciate that. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll double back once we uh, run through my notes, which only cover the store part. <laughs> but what Lo Lois's little moment uh, is cut off is one of the other like temporary stock workers translates for Garkash. <laughs> like like he leans in and Garkash whispers to him, and then he tells Francis. He says, "Get back to work." <laughs> When Craig returns, it's revealed that the downtown branch has won, and their branch has lost, and Craig says, uh, you can find me in the cookie aisle, and walks away sadly. Then everyone else says they should just make up the rest of their numbers and go home, but Francis doesn't want to. He wants to do it right, because he's already ruined his spring break coming here to do this. They should finish it right. He tries to give, like, a little inspiring speech to all of them. And as he gets to the end, he realizes the guy that was translating for Garkash isn't translating. And he asks him why he's not. And he says, there's no point, but keep going. <laughs> then he says, oh, well, I was done. And then uh, everyone just leaves. Except for Francis. Well, but Garkesh could clearly understand English because Craig had said that the count was over and Garkesh reacted right away, which is uh, what I think your line at the beginning was. I think we all, uh, I think Garchat, Gar yeah. Gar I think what's his face speaks for all of us. Uh, according to my phone, his name is Gareth, so. <laughs> <laughs> so no one can get his name right. Garkesh, right? 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then the, the, the last little tidbit that I have in my notes from the F-plot is that at the very end of the episode, he is, like, laying at the kitchen table asleep in the morning as Hal tells him he'll give him a ride to the bus stop and yells at him to get up because vacation's over. So, so what did I miss, Eric? Well, from that, I go right... Because I started my notes with starting with the F-plot, of course, and then I go to the, the B-plot and then the H-plot. Uh, yeah. And then I've got the award. So I think that scene that you just talked about, I actually had put. And so the whole Dewey and Reese kind of thing, I thought of like a, was a D plot for Dewey. Um, that's mostly, <laughs> that's mostly kind of like intersurped with Hell's plot. So I kind of just put a side note with that. The other stuff for Francis, I put in the H plot. So let me go through here. Now, there is a lot of like weaving in and out of this episode, much more so than a usual episode of Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, well, Francis being home, he's not removed, and that's why like I didn't call you on some of the stuff because like the some of the lines there near the end have very much a lot to do with Hal, and I feel like if we discuss, like, for instance, the scene in the garage with Francis, if we discuss that now, and and what's said, it kind of ruins Hal's plot line. Uh, But I'll be honest, I don't remember his interjections well enough in the kitchen to know if it gives away the other plot lines. Well, so the first one was after we've already established what Hal's doing. Francis comes home late from inventory, and he's like, how do you guys do this? It's mind-numbing, and it's, you know... Hal and Lois say, well, yeah, uh, by the way, Craig called. He wants you in at 7 tomorrow morning, and keep it down when you get up, because we're sleeping in. That was the one interjection. And then Hal, which I think we'll probably cover in Hal's plot line. Yeah, I actually have the other one in my notes under that plot line. Yeah, in the uh, kitchen? The, the, well, one last nice little detail for, for that interjection that I really like is that they also shut the lights off on him as they walk away. <laughs> yes, they oh, that's great. I, I have literally been there, done that one. Uh, I think that covers everything we need to cover for the F plot. Uh, the, the rest kind of fits in more with Hal's plot line. I was gonna say, do we go to the A plot or the H or the B plot or the H plot? Well, yeah. So, I'd, so the B plot really doesn't make a lot of sense out of context because you kind of have to know what's going on with Hal to know what's going on with Malcolm in the B plot, I think. so. He's got a format already made. Jeez, Jake. I was about to say the exact same thing, but then you fucking off the A plot, B plot thing is, is why I specifically don't want to do this oh, bullshit I, gag. I, I, I didn't fuck it up, Jake. <laughs> I just always assume that Malcolm's plot is the A plot to you because you identify so much with him. The A plot that, is the plot that, line around which the title gets its name. That's how it works. That's how you determine it? the A plot. Is it? Because Buffy breaks that rule a lot then. This isn't Buffy. I didn't get it. I hate you out of that one. Damn. Well, now that I know it's a game, I'm going to try not to say it. Oh, no. <laughs> See, I tried to let Eric in on it, but now you're in on it. I need to erase your memory or come up with a new game. Wait 20 minutes. I'll be out of my memory. <laughs> okay, let, let's go to the H plot, as we're calling it. He said it, it's canon. <laughs> Which also begins at the breakfast table. Uh, with all, all the stuff that we've covered, with, with you know, the, the, the milk in the nose and the waffles. And then Hal comes into the room, and he's dressed up in a suit and tie and everything. Much nicer than we usually see him when he's going off to work. Yeah, he's got the sports coat on, and he's got like a graph and a briefcase. And... Lois calls him a sexy professor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean... 
that that suit is very like professor esque. I, I feel like almost all of my professors owned that exact suit. Yeah, he's just missing like the the version of it with the freaking elbow pads. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. I, I only had one professor who actually had that. Oh, uh, I, I had one. It was my history teacher. Go figures. That was also a history professor. <laughs> yep. Yep. And he refused <laughs> to upgrade his classroom. Uh, and so they kept, like, downgrading his classroom because he, he kept refusing to upgrade because he loved the chalkboard and everyone used to make fun of him because he would write in chalk and then he would like rub his hands together and then like rub his ass as he's standing there like reading off what he wrote (laughs) and so there were just always these handprints of chalk on which i didn't notice until like halfway through the semester and then of course my wife and my buddy who were in the class with me are like he does that every time and then I could not stop. And I felt like such a creeper because I'm in the back of the class. And every time I hear the chalk uh, stop, I'm looking up from my laptop to see if he like rubs his ass <laughs> and rubs the chalk on it. Uh, and yeah, he did. Nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, see, see, my professor like that, he, he wasn't like that old-timey. He was just super eccentric. And, like, it was a big deal. Like, my senior year, like, right before graduation, we all found out that he, like, when he was younger, belonged to a bluegrass band. <laughs> so, so, like, the last day of his class, we all just showed up and started asking for autographs for, for his <laughs> band, Vulcan's Bridges. <laughs> Vol- Vulcan's Bridges? Yeah, you can find them on Spotify. Oh, they're, they're okay. Oh they're, they're, they're pretty decent. That's such a good name. <laughs> for a bluegrass band oh my god Uh, and and then because of that uh, he offered all of us either a copy of his new book he'd just written or a copy of his cd because he had like thousands of their cds still i don't think anyone took the book (laughs) oh my god <laughs> That's amazing. But but uh, anyway, two minutes into this plot, <laughs> let's get back to that. We find out that Hal has enlisted Malcolm to help him with his presentation as uh, Dewey's class is having a. Uh, I almost career said show day. and tell. That's not the right word. He said it for you. Career day. Career day. That there we go. That that that's the thing. I'm here to help. Thank you. Usually, David just stares at me like he's doing on the call right now until I struggle through and figure out the thing that I meant. I appreciate you actually being helpful. Of course. What are you talking about? It's part of the process. I'm helpful. You always remember. Hey, I'm just trying to be invited back. He knows that he's got you for the next episode, David. (laughs) But but Hal is sort of prepping Malcolm, like, like making sure he has the correct order for the charts he wants to show. Starting with a pie chart, and then they'll go to uh, the earnings report. Yeah, something like that. It's really lame and so realistic that I tuned out, just like I do in real meetings where they're showing me graphs. What? Graphs are great. No, spreadsheets are great. Graphs are awful. Totally agree. Yeah. No, they're both good. I'm definitely on board with the spreadsheet, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, spreadsheets are useful. They, you know, relay information. Graphs are horrible. Down with the graph, in with the era of the spreadsheet. Now, if it's a graph in uh, in conjunction with the spreadsheet, you know, if it's taking, it's, if it's plotting those things like a pie chart from the, the data in the spreadsheet, then yeah, maybe I'm still a little bit. But well, that's a real mistake. That's a rookie <laughs> move. See, graphs are naturally meant to deceive you. They are literally meant to trick you into not being able to process the data correctly. There's even a whole, like, theory 
behind which colors to use for certain things on your charts so that no matter how the data looks, it presents better. I think we might get a I hate you right coming up here real quick. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. You're wrong. Am I? Yes. Okay. How that's, am I wrong? That's not the case for all graphs. I'm not saying all graphs are good. I'm saying hashtag not all graphs. <laughs> that's dangerous, Jake. Oh, well played. I hate you so much. Oh, too good. Moving on from that. You're going to have so much editing to do. I don't know, shocked, but that was a gold. <laughs> Just leave the crap. Leave it all in. Leave it in. <laughs> Hit publish. <laughs> We're going to get statisticians in here emailing David next. Yes. Do it. I'll argue with them all day long. Like, how's your math version of a liberal arts degree going for you? Oh, wait. You can't cut this stuff now. It's too good. I know. Nine hour long episode. <laughs> right. I ain't got nothing else to do. <laughs> so Hal is talking about how excited he is for career day. And Malcolm is very skeptical. Well, Malcolm just doesn't want to do it. Yeah. But, but Hal has arranged with, with, with his teacher to, you know, go do this. He'll just have to make up the work after school. It's fine. Every kid's favorite. Yeah. Hard cuts from Hal talking about how excited he is to him at the career day, like soaked in sweat, slumped over, is already looking completely dejected. He's sitting on one of those little uh, uh, toddler chairs, like the little plastic chair. It's it's so great. It, uh, I love Hal. And he's trying to explain, uh, well, that's not all I do. And then a kid says, your job sounds horrible. <laughs> well, of course, it's a job. As Hal explains that all jobs are boring and bad. And one of the kids says, uh, being a firefighter is not boring. We have to consider the mortality rate, Jake. <laughs> My daddy's a fireman. <laughs> and one of the kids in the background, uh, I, I can't remember the kid's name, but they go, his dad's gonna die? <laughs> And then you get the interjection from the little girl. So the only reason you don't hate your job or something. Yeah. The only reason you uh, do your job is because you won't die in a fire or something like that. As, as the kids are like throwing all this, you, you can visually see how like spiraling out as he realizes how much he hates his job because he, of this career day. You can watch his midlife crisis begin. And then it ends with a little girl saying, if you hate your job so much, why do you do it? And it, it once again, hard cuts to how back at home, and Lois is saying, you quit your job? <laughs> and he explains he didn't quit. He just asked for a leave of absence. And, well, you also missed the uh, wonderful lines about the reasoning why he quit. <laughs> because Lois is very adamant and upset that he quit his job. Because of what a seven-year-old said. The kid was ruthless, but fair. And I feel like, as an aside, uh, his whole explanation about the reasoning behind it, Reese is, like, very impressed by it. And so I, I think that Reese doesn't get enough credit for his moments where he's, like, a genius. And, and granted, his form of genius is just being, like, deceitful little creep. But he's still, <laughs> like, a genius in his own right. So yeah, I, Yes, I, I love Hal talking about, you know, I took a leave of absence. Kidney malfunction. Uh, genius. It's it's specific, but it's personal enough that it doesn't invite further questions. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> then Hal gives like a little speech 
essentially boiling down like the essence of a midlife crisis. He's talking about how you know one day you're you're 20 years old and everything's great, and then you get this job and you think it's you know just for now, but then you get a promotion and a raise, and it just keeps going. And the next thing you know, you have this horrible life. Not you kids. I love you kids, but the house. I mean, it's crap. They're not doors, they're trap doors. Uh, I love Hal. I'm going to say that way too much in this episode. It, I relate to Hal in this episode so much. And we'll get into Hal later, but oh my god. Then Lois sends the boys away to have a one-on-one conversation with Hal. Uh, that's how you know you done messed up. Patrice initially like tries to... Shut that down. He says, we're in the kitchen. We're eating dinner. Why don't you go to your room? You have a bedroom. Uh, then Lois just immediately shuts him down on that. In their conversation, Hal explains that he ha- has this painting he wa- he's always wanted to do. It's been in his brain, and, and he just has to get it out. And this is his chance. And Lo- Lois initially wants him to continue putting off to retirement, which is their original plan. Uh, but he, he says he just can't hold it in anymore. And Lois uh, says sh- she'll allow him to do it. And she sort of reluctantly supports him. There's so many great lines in that sequence. I mean, this whole episode is just filled to the brim with great lines. But that whole sequence is top notch. Uh, so good, especially for Hal. Well, and uh, Lois has some really good zingers in this exchange. Like... I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I have seen a better television representation of the midlife crisis, like a, a real one, than this scene. Like, it's 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 perfect. The reaction, the, the, the anger and support simultaneous. Like, this is phenomenal, and I love this episode. It's also a really good, like, example of... Hal and Lois's relationship just being super good. Mm. Especially Lois's support for him essentially like stopping work to do this crazy thing. It's really nice and positive to see, especially like in a sitcom. Yeah, well, so her line at the risk of spoiling yet another uh, award. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. Was uh, Lois tells him that the reason that she's willing to support him is she says, up until five minutes ago, you were a very good husband and father, so you deserve this. Yep. <laughs> That's great. Then we see Hal start his painting. He, he has bought a giant canvas, and there's a, a bunch of paint cans you can see, like, off to the side already, which just through the course of the episode just grows. Like, what is the size of that canvas? I mean, what are the... What do you think those dimensions are? Because it is just like astronomically enormous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's like the size of their garage. <laughs> I'm googling something real quick. Like the largest available canvas to purchase or something? Oh, no, that would have been a better Google, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of makes me think like if you've ever seen a Jackson Pollock painting, like like in real life, they're, they're like that size. They're huge. I knew we were gonna bring up Jackson Pollock in this. Really. Look, Hal is better. Uh, <laughs> seven feet tall and nine feet wide. How'd you get those numbers? Uh, based off of the garage and the door. So, because it's roughly the same size as their garage door would be. Okay. Yeah. 
see, I, I didn't even think about Googling the canvas because I don't paint. I don't look at canvas sizes. I have, however, built garages. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice deductive reasoning. I appreciate the, the effort there. Uh, all we get of Hal's painting is like literally the first brush stroke here. Uh, as he just puts, like, a tiny dab of blue paint uh, very carefully on the canvas. I think it might also be the last time we see him use a paintbrush. No, it is not. Okay. There yeah. are two other scenes where he uses a yeah. paintbrush. Yeah. Yep. yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I paid close attention to the painting because I knew Jackson Pollock would come up. <laughs> it's not a sore spot at all or anything. It's just one of our many years-long ongoing arguments. <laughs> Uh, but the next time we come back to Hal's painting, uh, the reason I was thinking we may not see more paintbrushes is because he's immediately just, like, dipping his fingers in the paint and splashing it. But uh, after that, like, initial little bit of Hal painting, we see him uh, at the dinner table once again in a much better mood. Uh, and he's asking Lois what she did different with the meatloaf. And he's dispensing wisdom to the boys and actually listening to their problems as uh, Dewey's been having issues with a girl who's been calling him Ewey Dewey and putting paste in his hair, which Hal says uh, means that she likes him. She's just trying to get his attention. And Dewey, like, looks to Lois for confirmation. <laughs> she says, yeah, he's right. <laughs> and then he, like, you can visibly see him then take the advice. I love the, yeah, the, the realization on his face of, oh, Okay. <laughs> Which is such great acting from, like, a little kid, too. Like, Eric Purcell, and it, I mean, he's, like, a really good actor in general. And so that's, that, that scene, just that he, he does non-verbally, like, so much to convey his, his thought process. It's just, it's spot on. It's great. Absolutely. It, Eric Persullivan, uh, freaking uh, Frankie Muniz. I just forgot the name of the kid who plays Reese. Justin Burfield. Thank you. Yep. Why is it always Reese's actor that I forget? But uh <laughs> But no, they they are so talented. These kids are just amazingly talented and and that's one of the many many things that I love about this show um is the choice of actors, the guests, like holy crap. Like yeah, it's just a sh sitcom and I know I'm doing air quotes and the listeners can't hear that, but this is more than a sitcom. I'm sorry, and the the talent and potential and just the awesome cast in this show is just yeah. That, I assume a lot of that's also comes down to directing style. I assume it's really hard to like direct child actors. I feel like a lot of times that's that's why you get a lot of like like child actors who are very uneven in their performances like they'll, they'll be really great in some things and then really horrible in other i always assume that largely comes down to directing mm -hmm. i can get on board with that yeah 100 uh, percent. wait we all just agreed <laughs> oh shit <laughs> well don't worry i'll have that part out <laughs> but uh we, we never actually hear what reese's problem is uh, he, he he just asks Hal, he says, uh, I've been having issues with this girl at school, and Hal just cuts him off and says, leave her alone before she calls the police. <laughs> and Reese takes it. it like it That was definitely the advice that he needed to hear, because he's very appreciative of that. For sure. I want to see that storyline. <laughs> but also maybe not, because I don't want to testify in court. <laughs> <laughs> then, then sort of seeing that Malcolm is staring at Hal... 
as he's sort of uh, to camera been talking about how weird Hal is acting. He, he's never seen him happy like this. And, and Hal asks him what's wrong as well. Uh, but, but Malcolm uh, says he doesn't have any problem, which is not true. But we'll get to that in the whatever the number plot is. B plot, Jake. Keep up. <laughs> and that's a letter, not a number. Well, I, I assumed we just ran through the alphabet already. No, we have a B plot with no A plot. So, so there's no rules. Anarchy reigns. There's rules. Just because you don't know them doesn't mean they don't exist. He's still not grasping this H plot thing. I don't get it. This is what I deal with every day, and it is exhausting. See, now, David, the real test will be if I get a, an I hate you from Jake towards me. Now, that'll, that'll be something, won't it? That would be amazing. <laughs> we'll see if we get there. <laughs> I'm pushing buttons, I can tell. So. It, it's very inspired for this podcast. It is. <laughs> but uh, after the dinner scene, uh, we see Lois in the bathroom getting ready for bed. And she's talking about how, you know, th- this seems to really be doing Hal some good. He, he seems so much happier. And then, like, as she's leaving the bathroom, there's a trail of, a, like, a gratuitous number of rose petals <laughs> leading to the bed. Where Hal is laying naked, uh, except for he has covered parts of his body with rose petals as well. American beauty style. They're married with four kids. That much effort, it works. Then Hal wakes up in the middle of the night. Eyes snap open, and he gets back to work. We get, like, a a little montage of increasingly creative ways of applying paint to a canvas. Like, initially, he's doing, like, the finger method he did earlier. Then he's just, like, throwing directly from the can onto the canvas. Then he gets some squirt guns. Then he gets a water balloon. Then it culminates in him, (laughs) once again, completely naked, covering himself in blue paint. Or or as they would put it in Arrested Development, he blew himself. Then he runs over and, and, like, jumps on the canvas. But Hal is not a never-nude. He he was definitely a free pawn there. So. You know Brian Cranston did that. Oh, for sure, yeah. If he's willing to be covered in bees, then yeah. Absolutely. He, he definitely did that. Like, at this point, I've stopped just, like, Googling Hal stunts, and I just have assumed if Hal does it in the show, Brian Cranston did it real life. Seems like a fair assumption. Yeah. The man is crazy and crazy talented, and I love it. Uh, it's also another thing about it. I, I don't know if it's intentional, but the same thing happens in the Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah, yeah huh? Yeah, yeah, The painter later covers herself in paint, and then she, like, hooks herself up to a pulley and goes flying across. Yeah, I forgot about that scene. So did I until just now. Yeah, that might It might be a shout-out to the Big Lebowski. I don't know. Then we, we, we get one of those interstitials we referenced with Francis, as, as Hal is coming in. Uh, fin- you know, finishing up painting at 5.30 in the morning while Francis is getting up, uh, which, of course, Francis complains about. Uh, and then, like, a nice little role reversal moment. Hal is asking Francis for money to buy more art supplies. And Francis is saying, uh, didn't you just buy a bunch? How, how did you already use all of them? <laughs> and, uh, turning them down. Uh, so you know how hard I had to work for that money? <laughs> Then Hal, uh, while Francis is opening the fridge, uh, just takes money out of his wallet. 
I love how they play with the dynamic right there. I mean, it was like so spot on. You could because you could definitely see the roles being reversed and it playing out exactly the way that it played out. And it was just like it's so spot on. I love that. Absolutely, Francis's reaction and his his face as he's lecturing Hal and the little dismissive teenage wave that Hal gives him as oh, I didn't want to lecture. Yeah, and we have also seen Francis steal money out of Hal's coat in mm-hmm. Lois's birthday. I, I I appreciate the karma. Then while Hal is still working on his painting, Reese and Dewey come to him for more advice. Dewey is still having issues with the girl i can't remember the the new nickname she has given him dewey dwarf and reese has suggested that he fight fire with fire and he thinks they should come up with an even worse nickname for her specifically he says something raunchy and they should spread it around you know like at church and stuff (laughs) he mentions a few other places but the one that stuck out to me (laughs) the one that stuck out to me was church and i was like (laughs) totally and hal is just completely focused on his painting at this point uh completely ignoring them uh doesn't give them any real answer which of course reese takes as support this little like Scene ends with Reese asking Dewey so they can come up with this name. Uh, so what? What's what's this girl's name anyway? It's Regina Tucker. Uh, and Reese is just kind of quiet for a second, and, and then he says, "We'll think of something." <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that poor kid. Which I love how he was like cognizant enough to think that hey let's make it really raunchy so that we can spread it around church for like the added bonus of how how nefarious it is but then he can't think of anything for the actual name that's so great it's very on brand for reese yeah oh absolutely reese is uh an evil genius but his you know or i should say no i'm sorry i have to rephrase that reese is a genius of evil but he is not an evil genius (laughs) yes Then we uh, get get a scene of Lois coming in at night to try to get Hal to come in. And he is looking a a, a tad bit crazy at this point. (laughs) And he's literally screaming (laughs) at the painting. I love the progression, how, like how minor it was but he's like he starts out with just dipping his finger in the paint and then he's taking the small paint cans and he's tossing them now in his desperation he's like taking full-size paint cans and just chucking them at this canvas i love how desperate and frustrated he gets and how it has spiraled so out of control for that yeah and uh it's actually interesting that he came up before the podcast because for for me like this specific scene is well, like, it very much feels like Brian Cranston doing a Nicolas Cage impression. Like, his his freaking out is just so Nicolas Cage. It's so good. Well, Brian Cranston is also a national treasure. We gotta give him oh, 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 that look. Oh, the look. <laughs> From David this time. <laughs> David's first St. Clair and Eric. There it is. I'm part of the group. <laughs> Welcome in. That was just such a Jake joke, man. I think he's made that same joke, actually. Hey, great minds think alike. Uh, Lois points out how crazy Hal is being. Uh, She says he must have, uh, like, 500 cans of paint on that canvas. And Hal starts to, like, cut her off like that's ridiculous. And then he gets a look of realization on his face and goes, Yeah, that's about right. (laughs) 
so funny. Then, presumably the next day, Hal is showing the family his painting. Uh, he, he's got them all gathered. Uh, they do not look very impressed by it. They mostly just seem to be sort of staring at it in confusion. With the mountain, like a literal mountain of paint cans behind them, which is a, a very subtle like gag because they don't call attention to it at all, but it's so great. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, like through the course of the episode, you can just see more and more paint cans in the background of these scenes, which is so good. Then Lois on to Hal says, so it's finished? And Hal says, oh yeah, yeah, it's finished. And she says, then look at your painting. Uh, and he refuses to look at it. Uh, and Lois, you know, correctly pegs that, that he's he's not actually done with it and she wants him to finish it because she doesn't want this to be an ongoing thing. She's not going to put up with every five years every time he sees a statue or something that he has to build. <laughs> a statue or a fountain. <laughs> but then Hal has another meltdown. He, he looks at the painting and it's it's still not right. And he's screaming about how he just can't get it the same way as it is in his head. Uh, and how he can't finish it. Uh, and sort of in this tantrum, he like grabs a uh, a paint can and a brush. And he starts painting it sort of passive aggressively. Saying, oh, oh yeah, I'll just finish it then. And then like in the course of this, he like realizes he's on to something. <laughs> and he starts like genuinely like putting the last touches on. And then you can also see, like, in the background, uh, the rest of the family is also, like, suddenly enjoying the painting because of whatever it is he's doing. Then, uh, as they're all sort of staring in awe at it, and, uh, Reese compliments him, then Francis comes in complaining about the, the way things ended in his plotline. Uh, talking about how everyone else there is so lazy. And they, they don't know the meaning of hard work, and then he's, like, halfway through his sentence, just stops and stares in awe, uh, literally, like, open-mouthed uh, at the painting. Then there's a sound, which we know because we get, like, a view looking sort of behind the painting, uh, is the, the sound of this canvas uh, peeling off because it's been so soaked in paint. It's like a sponge. <laughs> yes, it is. Hal doesn't piece together what's happening in time. <laughs> he screams, it's a paint lanch as it falls on him, just completely covering him. Poor, poor Hal. Oh, he's very quick to point out, though, that I'm okay, I'm okay, but through the, the layers of paint that he's buried underneath, which is great. Yeah. Then the, the last little tidbit for Hal's plot line is him getting ready for a normal day of work. He's dressed in his normal work attire again, and Lois is helping him get ready. And that's where we get the little bit of him telling Francis he's going to take him to the bus. His vacation is over. Well, you missed a very important part of that, though, unless it's part of your award. Like, he's got a, a very, like, blue-tinged hue to him. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like the, the after effects of being covered by the paint of lamp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, I, God, I love that. Which is another thing that was like so subtle. They don't draw any attention to it. No one remarks about it, but like a keen eye and you're left with another joke. That's just, it's so great. That's what, one of the things that this show does so well. Also, and I won't go into the story about it. That is what it looks like after you've covered someone completely with paint and then they've tried to wash it off. Just saying, <laughs> I know. How can you not go into the story? 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's more fun this way. Leave them wanting more, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. 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 They'll keep coming back, hoping someday <laughs> Dave will tell that story he started 20 episodes ago. Look, maybe we'll get the emails, you know, who did you paint? Yeah. It'd be better than you're wrong. I'm so sad. Yeah, that wraps up the H plot. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and that, that just leaves one more uh, pretty small plot line, uh, Malcolm's plot line, which for some reason is the B plot, despite there not being an A plot. <laughs> you really don't understand this, do you? <laughs> I understand it. It's just dumb. <laughs> wow. 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 That's rude. It's layers, Jake. Like a layers of paint on a canvas. Yeah. About 500 cans or so. <laughs> so that, that, that's a great metaphor for such a bullshit premise. <laughs> Which honestly just makes the metaphor better. Yeah, as you say, you're one to talk about metaphors. <laughs> Reference back to an old podcast that can't be found anymore. What's the background with this? We, we did a... This, this is the story that I was going to tell you after uh, the podcast that I, I wasn't going to, you know make jake edit out but now i am um we did a podcast because we love to argue so much and we have always argued so much called fighting words okay and we would find topics that we knew or like movies specifically most of the time not always but we would find something um and one of us had to be pro for that and the other person had to dislike it okay which was great and a lot of fun until we started agreeing on too many topics. <laughs> and so during one of these episodes, he made me watch four of the Sharknado movies, which are, yes, that is the appropriate response. They are horrible. And he loves them. And so during, I think it was the first one, uh -huh. I was just railing into this movie and just destroying it. And he stops and deadpan looks at me and goes david the sharks are metaphors and i i lose my shit and i am just screaming at him and and i i finally get to the point where i'm like what the fuck is the metaphor and he goes david the sharks are metaphors for sharks <laughs> <laughs> and i ever since then whenever we discuss metaphors or philosophy or anything it, it is always the sharks are metaphors for sharks. It's where it always goes back. That is so great. I agree. <laughs> David did not at the time. He's come around to it now, but he was so mad. Oh, it was, it was, it was. Oh, I got so heated because I, I, that's not a metaphor. But uh, now it's hilarious, and yes, that's we crazy. use it all the time. So that Malcolm plotline, right? <laughs> it, it sort of uh, grows out of the. H plot realistically is seeing what Hal is going through and sort of commenting on it through the episode. Uh, eventually, Malcolm starts to have, like, a as he's laying down to go to sleep, what I have in my notes as a pre midlife crisis. Yeah. As he sort of becomes uh, obsessed with the idea that he's eventually going to have a midlife crisis <laughs> and is having a crisis about it. Well, I, I think it's even less about the. Like, it, it's spurred by the midlife crisis, but it, it's definitely... Malcolm starts to realize that he's never considered his future. It struck me as what you see, like, 
a lot of 16 and 17 year olds going through in in high school when they suddenly get reminded and forced to realize hey your future is real what are you going to do with your life and malcolm in true fashion is now having that like a decade early because you know he and the krellboins are, are geniuses and all of his friends have everything planned out and mapped out for their life and he's probably not thought of anything past the next Saturday morning cartoon session. Which uh, we, we've jumped ahead uh, with, with your comment there about the Krellboy, but they are aghast that Malcolm doesn't have a life plan in place yet. <laughs> Especially Lloyd, who starts to tear up at the thought. <laughs> Blaming allergies, but he's very much uh, yeah, just sad that Malcolm is ruining his future. <laughs> They're weeping for their friend. How could he not have it planned out? Well, so just before that, though, and I'm surprised, you know, being as big of fans of Stevie as you guys are, I can't believe that you glossed over that. Again, unless it's part of an award or something. <laughs> uh, it, it was not. I was just kind of covering it out of order. Okay. All right. Well, go ahead and get into it. Sorry to, <laughs> sorry to derail you. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't want that. We're always on the tracks. <laughs> We're so focused that in my notes, I have a planned tangent upcoming. A planned tangent? Okay. Yes. <laughs> It goes so well with all of our improvised tangents. Uh, but, but we get uh, a little bit of the other Krellboin's life plans. Dabney says you don't just luck into running a particle accelerator. Stevie's line is that between his smarts and tokenism, the sky's the limit. Oh, I Stevie's love Stevie. Good, right? That almost took my favorite line. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and it is also worth noting, this is the last appearance of Eraserhead. What? Yep. What do they do, eat him? Like, <laughs> where does he go? No. Why? Okay, if we ever have Linwood Boomer on the show, we'll ask it. You fucking should. <laughs> Eaten by metaphorical sharks. Uh, but, but now, realizing that he doesn't have a life plan and, and he needs to come up with one, Malcolm goes to the guidance counselor... Uh, and he takes a vocational exam. These exams give him no guidance because the, the counselor tells him that uh, he is equally proficient at every job. He, he aced every test. Do you guys remember, and I don't know if they made, like, normal students do this. Oh, David, that's what my planned tangent is about. Okay, then we'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait till then because I have some interesting stories about Oh, me too? Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Double tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Ma Malcolm is upset that, uh, that this isn't, you know, a real answer for him. It doesn't help him decide what he wants to do in any way. And the uh, counselor is telling him, you know, that there's plenty of kids out there who would, you know, love to have these results. He, he should just be grateful that, that he can do literally anything. He, at the end of this, uh, refuses to let Malcolm retake the test. And leaves saying he has to go catch his bus. Uh, so my planned tangent uh, w w with this little vocational test. So I, I had kind of a similar experience to Malcolm. That I, I got a similarly completely unhelpful bullshit result from the vocational test I had to take in high school. It's like all my friends took and they got stuff like, you know, uh, advising them to go in like the tech industry or, or like the medical field. Stuff like that. Stuff you expect from that kind of thing. I look at my test results, and it, it says, uh, like, my advice profession is calming presence. That That's it. No no suggested, like, 
thing to do with that. That's all it said. Jacob, that was early 2000s speak for podcaster. <laughs> also, <That's great. laughs> at least you had a result that, though bullshit and, and confusing, was genuine. I proved that I could make those stupid tests be anything that I wanted. And I could take the test and get any result that I wanted. I took it three different times and got three different professions, all of which were the professions I was aiming at. Do you know what that does to your fucking psyche as a kid? One, it makes you think you're fucking brilliant when you're not, because I'm an idiot. And two, <laughs> you start to wonder, like, huh, is this, like, bullshit? Is the test bullshit? Or am I bullshit? And uh, I definitely had this experience. And then I started to have that with, uh, again, with personality tests when they started introducing the, uh, the colors, communication colors, personality tests. Mm -hmm. I can make that now, of course I can, because I teach it. But even before that, I could make it come out with any result I wanted. Yeah, whatever result that I felt was necessary for to get along best with the people yeah, either presenting it or in the group, I could make myself come out as that color. And it's not like I would sit there either. And like the way I did it in my head wasn't like, oh, I'm going for this result. I, I It was literally just, uh, hmm, I have to think like this person now. And I would take the test, answering the test the way I had before, but thinking like, you know, a, a counselor or so on and so forth, whatever you want to go. And I would get that result. It was really weird and also to me proves that those tests are total horseshit. First of all, probably. But second of all, I think if you go into it, with that in mind, then, then yes, I think it definitely don't. I, I think it requires you to buy in it to, to, like, have any validity. Yeah, but see, like, that's that's the thing that's always, I've always wondered. Because I didn't originally, like, go into it with that intention. I was forced to take them a couple times. Because when you're homeschooled, they want to make sure that you're actually being taught stuff. But they didn't have us do, like, real tests. They had this bullshit. And I caught on pretty quick that, like, I, it was bullshit. And that's when I started fucking with them. Um, the other one was, remember the aptitude tests that they used to do? Mm -hmm. um, where, it, like, oh, you're at this level for reading. and uh, Yeah, I used to fuck with those, too. Like, straight up, I'm horrible at math. I legitimately scored way higher on those on math. So that my mom wouldn't, like, make me do more math. And I'm telling you right now, honest to God, and I know people aren't going to believe this, I didn't solve any of the equations. But? Yeah, I guessed. I, I reasoned what, I knew enough math to know that, like, to read the equation and be like, okay, well, that, that answer isn't over 100, so these two answers are, are not applicable, so I'm going to 50-50 these. And I would score higher in math than I actually could test. More deductive reasoning. I like it. That, that's how you should approach a multiple choice. That's why standardized tests are bad. But we're not going to go down there. Right, yeah. Well, let's not go <laughs> back into that. <laughs> More planned tangents. <laughs> but uh, after the visit to the guidance counselor, the, the next Malcolm scene is a weird nightmare that he has where the world is just populated with different versions of Malcolm. 
and, and like stereotypical like job dress. <laughs> you got a mailman. You got a, a like construction worker. A security guard. What else? A bus driver. Bus driver. I think there's like a teacher on the bus. I, I didn't catch all the ones on the bus. There's so many Malcolms on the bus. One of them was in like a rainforest cafe kind of outfit, you know, like a, a zookeeper kind of deal, <laughs> which was great. Go figure, Eric would pick out the zookeeper. Oh, yeah, naturally. Oh, I cannot wait for that episode. I mean, it's still a long ways off, but... We'll get there. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but, but Malcolm's nightmare ends. One of the versions of himself comes home and like walks into the kitchen and says hi to his wife. And then when she you know, turns around to kiss him, it is also him. And he wakes up, well, like at a start, like he's just had a horrific nightmare. I mean, he did. I guess. World Full of Me's would be great. <laughs> We've mostly covered the rest of Malcolm's plotline through covering Hal's, except for the sort of conclusion he reaches at the end of the episode. As he's sitting there at the breakfast table, talking to camera, he's talking about how, you know, uh, seeing what Hal went through, he's realized that uh, he should, you know, not worry about that stuff and just enjoy being a kid. Uh, and, And as he's talking about, you know, how great it is to be a kid, a series of uh, unfortunate things are happening to him. Uh, like, first, a ball comes in and uh, just nails his cereal bowl. Then, as he's walking away from that, Reese just walks up and punches him in the back of the head. That's for stepping on his side of the room. And then uh, it, it ends with him still talking about, you know, how, how unstressful it is to be a kid and how he's smart enough to enjoy this as Lois is literally dragging him away for not making his bed, saying he's going to make everyone's bed. For a month. Yeah, and that is how the episode ends. Such a good episode. It's a solid episode for sure. You're you were not wrong. Season two just amped up, and it's it's uh it's finishing out strong here. This is gonna be good. Yeah, yeah. This was definitely one of my favorites, and I was kind of surprised that the IMDb rating for this one is only like a seven point seven, and other ones in this season are like consistently in the eight. So I was like, well, how is this one ranked lower? Like. Granted, 7.7 is still fairly high, but it's, you know, it's better than some of the other ones, in my opinion, that are in the eights. So, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's a pretty good episode. I would I would have to agree. And this is, again, where I say, IMDb is wrong. There, there, there's a couple from this season that, that, that I enjoy more, but it's, it's probably in, like, the top five for the season. Yeah, that's fair. But, uh, that wraps up our summary. So let's go to our awards. <laughs> Awards. Well, let's start with one that I have a strong feeling will be unanimous. Uh, who did you guys have for your favorite character? We should let Eric go first. Well, it's the benefit of being the guest, I guess. Thanks. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's pretty unanimous. Hal, for me, for sure. David? Hal. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, we're all in agreement. Then. Yeah. Okay, so who was your guys' runner-up? Because I did choose a runner-up based on not wanting to have... Similar answers as you guys. Mine was Craig. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fair. If I were to come up with one, it would be Francis. I think just like thinking of it and not giving it a lot of thought, but Hal and I connect so much in this episode. It's Hal. Oh, yeah, for, for yeah. sure. A thousand people could vote Hal, and I would be one of them. That, that, I'd probably go Lois as my backup, but oh, it's a pretty decent good. backup. It, it, it's it's got to be Hal for this episode. His, his whole little 
crisis he's going through and Brian Cranston's acting, it's all just too good to not give it to him on this one. And similarly, which plot did you have for the A plot of your heart? Which plot line did you think was the best? The hell plot line, for sure. Yeah, the H plot is the A plot of my heart. Weird. It's written in my notes as the A plot, which you guys insist (laughs) doesn't exist. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't know what episode you were watching, Jake, but... Eric's got a point. Are you sure you're on the right episode? Like, I know you watch ahead. (laughs) Okay, so in that same vein, I also chose a runner-up there, and so really the only other logical choice would be the B plot. I like all the malcontent Malcolms in the bus. That last sequence was very good. It was. I I love the Malcolm, and, and we'll talk about that too do we want to go from there then then to the roller skating king award yeah because i feel like that's gonna launch me into the biggest tangent of the night yeah (laughs) that that can't be the case (laughs) okay Uh, eric what did you have your roller skating king award the award for the best visual moment Uh, well i chose four just based on what your guys answers was but by virtue of going first i will take uh the giant paint avalanche uh, fair enough. It's it, it, it's a nice little uh, ending to House Painting. It's a fun little like it's 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 a great scene because it's visually and like auditorily just great. The audio there, peeling of the paint and the sound cues before you actually see anything, and then the visuals that they paired with it. It was a super good shot. I and what did you have for your roller skating king award, David? All right, look here we go. I did not specifically narrow it down to one because it is the how painting scenes all of them okay <laughs> yes i know uh look i specifically the scenes that are shot where you are facing how from the perspective of the canvas i love how throughout the entire episode you are the canvas um whenever you're seeing this painting I thought that was a really interesting choice uh, for the cinematography. I think that it allowed this gag to be what it is. Because if you actually show the painting, then there is this objective rating, this this sort of feeling that art gives. And now the audience is judging the painting and you have a reaction to the painting. Instead, by doing it this way, not only do you get to experience more of the emotion of the actual creating of the piece of art, but they get to, through the reactions of the family and Hal at the end, actually tell you and give you the emotional response that they want the painting to have without actually having to create a masterpiece or or have a masterpiece like put up and blow up a Jackson Pollock or one of those impressionistic crappy and and it can be whatever you want. If you're a Rembrandt fan, it can look like a Rembrandt and how somehow did it splattering his body and paint and everything all over the canvas. Now obviously that's not that's not likely, but it allows the viewer the suspension of disbelief with the way that they film this. To realistically, that can look like whatever you want. If you want the cartoony how through paint on something until it all of a sudden looked like the Mona Lisa, that can be what happened in this episode. Okay. And I absolutely love that part of it. It's dogs playing poker for me. That's what I envision. <laughs> and that's perfect. That's great. That's exactly it. And 
when he watches it, it's dogs playing poker. <laughs> and when Jake watches it, it's a crappy Jackson Pollock. But why would you want that? <laughs> this is clearly an impressionistic painting, right? There's no way it's something else. Absolutely there is. <laughs> that, that's the beauty of how it's done. That's why I like this these scenes so much. Because you never see the painting, it can be whatever you want. And it's about the emotion mm-hmm. that is being created and conveyed here instead. And for some of us, Jake, I know you have trouble grasping this. Some of us don't look at impressionistic art. None of us ever look at impressionistic art and think, oh, wow, that's so great. Some of us out here, anytime we look at impressionistic art, we go, great, we're paying a toddler? Oh, no, that's an adult. <laughs> See, it's, it's just interesting because, like, your description of why you like this is, is like, the definition of why impressionistic art works. <laughs> like, it's the exact same ideas at play. Oh, so, I, so I, I, I love that you're the one making this argument. Oh, it's, no, it's, it's perfect, and I, I appreciate the irony. I hate impressionistic art unless it's in any other medium. I don't know why, but pa- impressionistic painting pisses me off (laughs) and it's it's irrational as hell and i know that we never would have guessed yeah that so that was that was my roller skating king and the other thing that made me pick these scenes is uh we've talked about uh hal's kind of crazed descent into lunacy as he's trying to finish this that is so much how i feel right now I, I'm not even kidding though. Like I'm being like honest. I'm trying to consistently edit, put out videos, and and make this thing, this idea that I have in my head, come out and and be enjoyed by other people and be where people can see it. And every time I edit a video, I look at it and I'm like, God, it's dog shit. And I have never connected with Hal as much as in this episode. There's that part. There's there's the midlife crisis and the the wanting to quit and and do something else the not being fulfilled with the career that you should be I was very very fulfilled and and loved my job part of the reason I took this promotion and and sought to stop doing my job though was because this thing that I loved and helped build and and really fulfilled my life I I was getting kind of cynical and bitter about it and. I didn't have the same sort of, I guess, joy or outlook in it as I once did. So I recognize that it's time for a change. Now I'm doing something else. Uh, not quite as drastic as Hal, because I still have bills to pay. Um, <laughs> but uh, And if I came home and said, honey, I quit my job, I would not get that level of support. Um, uh, I might get stabbed. <laughs> and that's if she was being nice. But I just, uh, Hal is so much how I feel right now. And the wanting to create something. And then one last thing. I told you this was going to be my longest fucking tangent of the mm-hmm. night. Like uh, watching this episode, every scene that Hal's in, I'm like, yep, yep. That's that's right. That's me. But uh, the we talk about it all the time in the show. And to bring it back to the show and, and off of me, the paint cans... And the arrangement of the studio and how it changes. We talked about the paint cans, so I won't spend much time on that. But look at everything else in the garage that changes too. The the layout of the palettes and the desk and the brushes, 
everything starts to get more chaotic as Hal starts to descend down this rabbit hole. I was paying a lot of attention to the background and the level of physical storytelling and physical comedy in these scenes as Hal is is creating his masterpiece is 100% on brand for this show. And I love it, and it's amazing, and every single one of those scenes, especially when you put them together, deserves the Roller Skating King Award. Okay. I, I can accept that. <laughs> Look, that's your response to that. Okay. <laughs> I like that I just, like, poured part of my current, like, existential crisis and right. soul into this, and Jake not only goes, okay, he then follows it up with, I accept that bullshit answer. <laughs> I, I I appreciate the sentiment, and, and you know your relation to Hal. Just you know, from an award standpoint, you did the equivalent of being like, "This year we're giving the Oscar to just uh, all the period dramas." That's what happens anyways. <laughs> no, they pick one period drama. <laughs> if the runner-up rewards all go to the period dramas, anyways. But also, mm, you are the YouTube comment section right now. <laughs> I hate you so much. Yeah, so what's yours? Okay, so my, you know, specific moment I'm giving the awards to. Oh, this better be good. <laughs> Prepare to be ripped to shreds no matter what it is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, specifically, uh, it is the uh, scene of Hal's meltdown when Lois comes uh, to, like, get him uh, to go to bed. Because I, I feel like it's the best, like moment of acting to express uh so, sort of Hal's decaying state of mind it's sort of the moment where he finally like breaks and just loses it uh, just, just mo mostly just like in terms of his body language there uh, as he's like manically getting more paint and, and like the the, the exaggerated I, I just need one more day with like his fingers spread out and, and, and all that uh, I think it was probably the best acting in the episode and it made it the best visual moment for me as well it's acceptable you may live <laughs> I could see the gears turning you were trying really hard to find some fault with that I could tell oh no I found fault but it would take a lot longer and also I accept his bullshit answer because you could see he put a lot of thought into it. He really tried hard. And unlike Jake, I appreciate good, solid effort. Uh, I couldn't even finish that bit. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, uh, on to the next award. What did you have for your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best line. Oh, my God. There's so many great lines in this episode, like I kept saying throughout. Uh, but for me, like for favorite, favorite, I have to go with Hal and Lois's discussion about the painting because you could tell that they've had it numerous times before. Uh, and Hal says, the blazing crimson flushes, the vivid blue tones. And then <laughs> Lois finishes up with the almost subliminal tinges of tangerine. <laughs> I just I love that that whole back and forth. It is a good scene. I love that. I love the the description and i also like i like the way that it, they kind of continue that and Hal's you know i've been painting it like the comments throughout the the show like i've been painting it for 15 years and it's in my head and i need to get it out again i have been feeling that non-stop for like the last two weeks like there is so much that i creatively want to do right now with with our other projects and things like that 
but I either don't have the equipment or don't have the skill, mostly the skill, to make it be that, and it is infuriating. So I get why Hal goes crazy. I do. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. I, I think anyone who's, like, tried to do creative work can relate to Hal's just obsessive, like downward spiral over trying to get the, the the thing he's making and the real world match the thing that's in his head. Yeah, like, I, I'm not gonna lie, the last couple of weeks have really opened my eyes to the whole, like, whole crazy artist thing um, that exists out there, and I've never experienced this before in my life, because I, I always, I never thought of myself as a creative person, because I was always told I wasn't. Like, I tried art, I sucked at it. Um, I tried music, couldn't do it. Like, realistically, the only things that I really excelled at and, and had the talent for growing up were martial things. Like, I was a hell of a fencer, hell of a martial artist. Anything to do with hurting people, firearms, there's a long-range <laughs> shot. Like, honestly, like, warfare stuff was the stuff I was good at. And I was always told, I was told by art teachers when I was younger who came in to teach the, the homeschool class, you know, at the Boys and Girls Club, like, you know, that basically, she was polite about it, but basically just, you know, give up, don't, don't draw, like, she didn't say it like that, but, so now, over the last couple weeks, as I finally, like, started to try to get creative with things, uh, Jesus Christ, how do people live this way, is basically what I'm trying to say. Not, not, not to, you know, try to, to step on your deep emotional things you're saying again, but, uh, what, what did you have for your actual award, David? Uh, I wasn't sure if it was my turn or not. Uh, <laughs> look, I've lost, I've lost track. Um, so I had, I had, uh, I told Eric before we started. I had 14 lines at one point that were in the running for this. The one that I ended up choosing is uh, where Lois is talking to Hal in the garage, and he's starting to lose it, and she tells him, "This is your dream. It's supposed to be fun." One again, that just really hit home with me, and two. Just that sort of, like, crazed support. You start to see, like, Lois is... She's not, you know, descending into madness like what Hal does. But she's she's very clearly trying to support her husband and trying to be that good wife. But she's also just wanting to bounce his head off the concrete and just knock the sense into him so that he can go back to being the man that she knows he is. And... It was a surprisingly, like, even though it's Lois and she always yells and stuff, but given the tone and the way they set it up, it was surprisingly dramatic and it it was very well done and it sets the stage for all of the interactions and, and kind of Hal's craziness throughout the rest of the episode. And I just, I don't know, I that line really stuck with me. Okay, that's a good answer. Uh, I gave my award to one of the lines from Hal's interactions with the kids. Uh, it's when the little girl says, uh, so the only reason you like your job is that you won't burn to death? And Hal says, actually, I work on a high floor, so that's not necessarily true. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so good. I mean, he's technically not wrong. Uh, I, I also just like that it's this group of you know, elementary school kids that leads to Hal's whole little meltdown. It's like, as someone who has, at various points, been a teacher, <laughs> that's, uh, r r relatable, and, uh, yeah, kids can be ho horrific in that way. 
I can imagine, and uh, I'm a little terrified for when my son gets the hold. Uh, on to the next award. Uh, what did you guys have for your OK Boomer Award? Your award that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. So mine is definitely a stretch, uh, but I'm going with the, the gender bend, Malcolm, like during that whole malcontent montage thing. Um, because she's at home cooking dinner in a muumuu and her hair is done up in curlers. And that was already like a pretty outdated stereotype at the time that they were filming it, but especially seems like really out of touch now in 2020 in that lens. So that's what I'm going with. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's 100% correct. Uh, do, do you want to go next or do you want to get angry? I'll go next. Okay. Uh, let, give me, give me, give me a minute to to take a break from being angry. Buckle up. That's right. So my OK Boomer award, I struggled with this. I I had a hard time finding one, but I ended up settling on uh, a song that's playing during uh, Hal's painting, and it's "Free Your Mind" by En Vogue. Uh, and technically, it came out in 1992. However, it was still uh, somehow managed to be on the top 100 charts even in 2000 and 2001 uh, when this episode was actually filmed, which is also probably why they use that song. I thought that that song came out around then because that's when I heard that song the first time. Uh, I never was like a huge fan of it or anything, but that's where I first started hearing that song. So to me, that kind of sticks around the 2001, uh, even though it apparently came out a decade before then. That's acceptable. That was my runner-up. Nice. I very specifically chose, in the background of, of one of the shots, you can see a Kellogg's Pops box. That's mine! No! No! I, I, I have it written in my notes as David's Pops box. <laughs> I did the research for that. I did a two-hour deep dive on the Kellogg's brand and the... You're reusing my shit? He said prepare to get mad. He knew that this was coming. I didn't think it was going to be this level of just uh, here's lazy the, here, bullshit. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I saw it when it would be really funny if I chose that. And then I did. <laughs> well, I hope somebody got a laugh out of it. Yeah, me. We are. <laughs> yeah. I hate you. Well, 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 David, did you know that they changed the catalog? Shut up. Logo? Shut up. Audience, go back a couple episodes. You'll hear the whole history, okay? From me, the person who actually did the research and found it. Jake is just regurgitating information that I gave to him because he was too lazy to get his own award. Well, well the history of the Kellogg's logo is crazy. Did you know that there was once, like, uh, accidentally racist Kellogg's, uh, like, pops box? Yes, I did. You know how you know that? Me. Like, this episode wasn't long enough. We have to go 20 minutes back for, like, two episodes to go to. It's just inserted in this episode as well. So that was my OK Boomer Award. No, that was my OK Boomer Award from, like, three weeks ago. I, I beg to differ. Also, recording really throws it. I don't know how long ago it was. I'm real bad with the recording to release thing. Like, Okay, well, we, we are down to our final award. All we've got is our shittiest and least shitty kid Ooh, the biggins. Yeah. This is where Eric really gets to to stand out and really make his impression, because, I mean, this is this is really the bread and butter of the show. This is why people watch. Listen. Yeah, that. All right, so are we going with least shitty, first of all? Sure. Okay. 
So for my least shitty kit, I'm choosing Reese over Dewey because, okay, we've already established that Dewey's normally a perfect angel, right? And, but we always have to grade Reese on a curve, yeah? So we've established that he's trying to actually help Dewey against his nemesis, and he's not resorting to violence. And we've already established with Reese, it's not necessarily that he's opposed to beating up a girl. So for him to try to find a solution that doesn't involve violence, I think is showing that uh, he's growing as a character. And so I'm going with Reese as my least shitty. So the end scene when he punches Malcolm, that can't be held against him because that's just standard Reese. That's just his normal behavior. So. You can't see it right now, but my forehead's twitching. I, I think you've succeeded in diverting uh, all the anger your way. Right. <laughs> you want to? You want to go next? You want to go next, Jake? Okay. Uh, so for for least Jake, I also did not choose Dewey for once. I uh, I also did not choose Dewey uh, for I, once. But he is related. I chose Francis. Oh. Partially because he gave his waffle to Dewey at the beginning of the episode That's... when Dewey's was still partially frozen because of him. Yeah, good guy Francis. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. You know, that is a reason I can get behind. Now, I, in very rare form, uh, am giving this award to Malcolm because he doesn't really do anything all that shitty. Um, and he learns a very important lesson about himself, and he has sort of his little midlife crisis uh, early, which is not even the reason why I uh, chose him, but the fact that he's able to, through that, then process, which also, to me, throws out the window his whole he's socially inept bullshit. But anyways, he then is able to process and realize that in reality, what he needs to do is is accept who he is and and learn to uh, enjoy his life and take uh, life one day at a time and, and live life on life's terms. And that's a very good lesson and a very good thing to teach. It's also very mature of him. Um, and for once, Malcolm deserves it. Reese, though, like what? <laughs> How? Okay, so are you ready for, like, the ultimate screwball, then, for the shittiest kid? I'm what? choosing Malcolm. <laughs> okay, so because him having an existential crisis, that doesn't make him bad, per se, but he made Hal's crisis all about himself. So his selfishness means that, A, he's shitty. Also, that his whole interaction with the guidance counselor. Okay, so it's not his fault that he didn't do anything inherently wrong with his interaction with the guidance counselor. But he's smart enough to know, like, to read the tone of the room, that it was obviously making the guidance counselor uncomfortable. Like, all those comments, like, the guidance counselor was the one that was really shitty in that interaction, right? But Malcolm should be smart enough and is smart enough to know, hey, maybe I shouldn't keep pushing these buttons with this guy because it's making him uncomfortable and it's making him being a prick. He kept going and badgering and badgering and badgering. Ipso facto, Malcolm's the shittiest. He was desperate. He was dealing with something that was far beyond his current mental state and his ability to cope. And I would also push for answers. As the guy who, as I like to say frequently, metaphorically kicks open the door to force my way into answers, I respected his tenacity and his perseverance in attempting to get an answer. Uh, the fact that he finally realized and learned that he had the answer all along is important but i literally work in a place where there are professionals 
with massive licenses and degrees who that's their whole job is getting people to realize that. And this young man did that on his own. Um, I think you're wrong. I think you're crazy. I think you've been listening to Jake way too much. You are an excellent person and, and you should not be fooled by Jake's propaganda and all of his bullshit. What? It doesn't matter. It's your fault. So I uh, Look, I didn't choose Malcolm for either word. I, I, I can see Eric's point that he made Hal's whole crisis about himself, which he even calls out. Like, like right before that, he's, he says, uh, you know, he's just been... He hasn't noticed how because he's just been too self-centered. Then he, you know, rolls over for one second, then rolls back over and starts talking about himself. I, I agree. That's uh, why he couldn't be leashy. Don't get me wrong. Him being shittiest kid is also fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, and no, he's least shitty kid. And uh, because I was using your logic from previously where, you know, it, it, it's it's okay that he's self-centered because he just doesn't know any better. To I, some degree, yeah. Yeah, I hate you. Who's your shittiest kid? Uh, Reese. Okay, yeah, yeah, same, same. <laughs> Reese. Course. Yeah, yeah. Reese. What? Yeah, Reese. Uh, Reese. What did he do? He's uh, he's helping Dewey. Yeah, he's helping turn Dewey into a bully. Right. He literally is planning to spread ma like horrible nicknames and probably some rumors. That's that's left up to the imagination, but I'd imagine about this innocent little girl. In churches and at school. What makes her so innocent? She's the one that's like, okay, yeah, she's just doing it to get Dewey's attention, but she's the one that's antagonizing him. Reese is actually stepping up to try to be a big brother to help him out. Again, how many times have I heard you guys say this very fact? We have to grade Reese on a curve. He's, he's doing something good for a change. So throw him a bone. And as we saw in Bully, when Reese tries to do good, the universe shows that he's incapable <laughs> and here, here's the thing i don't think this is an exceptionally bad reese episode i would agree i think overall the kids are better behaved in this episode than usual including reese Agreed. but i i feel like when everyone is at their best that's reese is still so far down there that he's, he's still the shittiest kid mm -hmm. <laughs> i appreciate you trying to give it to reese because I, I frequently look for reasons to give it to Reese uh, because I feel like he just doesn't feel the love and, and, and he needs that and maybe that'll make him be a better person, but uh, it won't. But yeah, no. And the, the whole thing with the little girl, it just... Uh, it, you know what that is? Yes, she started it. Yes, she picked on Dewey first. But that is like taking an atomic bomb to a rock fight. <laughs> like, Dewey and the girl are tossing rocks and... and, and then Reese just wants to unleash himself. That's awful. It's also a pretty significant age gap there. Yeah. Assuming she's the same age as Dewey. Right. I mean, you would assume she's at his school and everything. So yeah, Reese is shitty as kid. See Eric looking <laughs> at my face like, oh. Now you know how I feel 90% of the time. Well, I've lost this battle, but I haven't lost the war. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. So now that. That's the attitude you need. Otherwise, you can't hang out with Jake. Well, that just leaves <laughs> one more segment. Oh, fuck. And we've alluded to it a few times, but there's been some accusations that you might be cheating in this segment. You might be previewing the episodes. I'm not. Oh, I thought we were going to go with the, what, uh, 
I thought the new segment was going to be, what is Josh and Des Moines going to say for at least shittiest game? No, he definitely chose Reese. Oh! <laughs> oh, no. You bastard. <laughs> How dare you, sir? God, I haven't left this hard in forever. Uh, we have to wait for the poll results. We have to see if Josh shows up this week or, or if he was scared off by us nailing him last week. It's possible. He's like, damn, they got a spy satellite. They traced my IP. I'm out. So good. For, for, for this episode, you, uh, you, you, you mostly got it. You, you said that Hal would have something happen at work that uh, caused him to quit his job and pursue some sort of uh, passion. The two that you threw out there were rebuilding motorcycles or uh, building battle bots again. And that by the end of the episode, he, he would have some sort of epiphany that the, this thing uh, wasn't what he thought it was going to be, and he would go back to his day job. I feel like I also threw out art as one of the three. You did not. I did not? No. Okay, because I definitely was thinking it, but okay. So you don't get points for that. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I am perfectly fine. It's it's like not showing your work. I get it. Okay. I lost points. Fair. But I, I feel like you got all like the broad strokes of the episode. I, I'm only going to hmm. give you a 90%. Oh, yay. Was that pun very much intended? or? Uh, absolutely. Strokes? For sure. 100%. <laughs> I'm hilarious. Now, see, Jake has this uh, defect where if he says a pun that he intends to do, he then immediately has to tell you that it was intended. That's not true. Sometimes I just do a smug face. <laughs> That's the same thing. Like, to anyone who knows you, you you get you get pun face. <laughs> he does. That's going to be the merch that comes out of this if we ever monetize the podcast. <laughs> Picture Jake on a coffee mug. Pun face. Okay, well, for the next episode, what do you think is going to happen in the episode Grandparents? I think we're finally going to meet the boys' grandparents. I think we're going to find out how awful their grandma is. Let's see. Callback. And I think that... See, I don't know which side of the family these grandparents are on. I don't remember that. So I'm, what do you I'm, mean you don't remember that? You don't remember that from your snooping ahead? Is that what you're saying? That, no, no. That, that was sus. No, they <laughs> mention no, they mention the grandma the same time that you find out that the grandma kind of like sucks uh, in one of the earlier episodes. I think it's the funeral one. Um, oh, Mrs. Old. Yeah, thank you. Old Mrs. Old. I'm. I feel like they mention uh, something about it then, and then uh, they also mention. Uh, the grandparents in way back in I think season one or early season two, the one where they go to the funeral, uh, Hal and Lois together. Um, they mentioned something about I believe Hal's parents, which yeah, I, I think, think they just mentioned that they don't like Lois. Yeah, and I think that's where I connected those. Now, it may have nothing to do with each other. I honestly don't know. But yeah, I think we're gonna meet the grandparents finally officially, and not just word of mouth. I think the grandma's gonna suck. I. Th think that uh, there's going to be a lot of tension with Lois and the boys. Uh, I think that you're probably going to have some sort of like mass punishment on the boys as a result of some hijinks and the grandparents are going to like get them out of it or or maybe like sneak stuff to them or sneak them out of the house or something like that. Basically just openly defying Lois 
Like, there's going to be some rule or something, may not be a punishment, but something happens, and Lois lays down the law, because that's what she does, she's the mom, and the grandparents are going to be like, yeah, but <laughs> come here, <laughs> and they're going to break that rule. I don't know enough about these characters to get more specific than that. Okay. Uh, well, uh, well, what's what's your consensus on uh, odds on David being a cheater here? <laughs> uh, he, he's, the, the last two episodes, I will say, he's been suspiciously like high nineties. Well, so I mean, I was giving him grief just because I mean, some of these titles are really on the nose, right? I mean, if it's called grandparents, I mean, what the hell do you think is going to happen? I mean, grandparents are probably going to show up, right? So it was mostly just giving him some shit, but. Yeah, he, he has been pretty close with, with some of these theories. As we pointed out earlier, I'm very good with deductive reasoning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just wanted to give you the opportunity to throw David under the bus, if you so choose. No, he's, he pimps my pro, uh, my podcast way too much. He does much more work on that than I do. So. Oh, God, <laughs> he's been bribing the outside investigator, I see. I would never... You guys are both great. This is a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, it is. This is a ton of fun. Like I love the sh- doing this show normally, but this is this is awesome having you on. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, do you, you want to go ahead and plug your show once again before we wrap up? I'm at uh, File Under Entertainment podcast. I do it with my brother. Where each episode we have a different uh, movie that we well each book a. Let's see, David's so much better about describing the show than I am. Uh, each episode is a different letter of the alphabet. Uh, we each pick a movie that we want the other one to see and discuss, and then we discuss about it. We're through episode G. Uh, we're going to be recording episode H coming up here pretty quick, as well as a Christmas special. So that nice. will be posted in a couple weeks. I'm looking forward to that. It's it's an awesome show. You guys should check it out, especially if you like the banter back and forth between Jake and I. Uh, their podcast is a ton of fun. Uh, I, I've mentioned it before. I put it out on Twitter all the time. It's what I listen to when I'm editing or when I'm at work compiling spreadsheets and, and making training documents, stuff like that. And it's a ton of fun. I am always pleased when a new episode comes out. So check them out. Uh, I know they're on Spotify. I don't know. Can they find you on most uh, major? Yeah, Apple, uh, Pocket Casts, all those other ones. <laughs> okay. All the podcast places. Right. Yeah, check them out, guys. You won't be sorry. Thank you so much. Again, we really appreciate all the all the stuff you do to, to plug us. And very much appreciate it. My pleasure. Absolutely. You, you guys have a great podcast and uh uh, you know, but before we wrap up here, I, I do just want to say, you know, I've heard of a hand grenade. <laughs> but not a head grenade. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Uh, and on that note, uh, thanks for listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, where we are life is un... Nope, that's the email. Yep. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. That's also a good place to vote in our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls, as long as well as any other random polls we decide to make. You can also reach us by email, where we are lifeisunpairpod at gmail.com. And if you like the banter back and forth like what we have here and you enjoy video games, come on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream video games live and communicate and go back and forth with the audience and just, in general, have a good time. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair.
I wanted to be sarcastic and do the noise again. I'm glad you enjoy that bit that never makes it into the episode. I, I know it never makes it into the episode. That's another one that's just for me. 